You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles hunting podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and on this podcast, you will find tons of relevant information that will help you become more successful in the field. You'll hear product information directly from the manufacturer and success stories from guys and gals just like you. Sit back, relax, and pour a stiff drink. This episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast starts right now. All right, everybody. Happy Monday. Hopefully, uh, your Monday's off to a good start. Uh, Super Bowl weekend has came and is now gone. And for me, that just kind of means it's time to really start thinking about shed hunting. Uh, Man, we had a huge snow melt off uh, this past weekend, and I'm really excited now to uh, see if there's any bone that's dropped, man. Um, Probably in the next couple weeks, I'm going to be taking some real short walks, seeing where the trails are at, seeing where they're bedding, and uh, potentially doing a, a couple, you know, buffer strip, field edge type shed hunts and then uh, last week in the month of February is typically a really good month for me when it comes to going out and trying to find sheds and then obviously March is uh, the shed hunting month so I'm just real excited to get out start walking knock off the rust and and uh, get back outside and uh, I don't know there's no better way to do that than to do than to go shed hunting so uh, there's that I don't know. I'm fired up. This, by the way, this is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. If this is your first episode, I really feel sorry for you because this podcast really sucks balls. I'm kidding. It's the greatest podcast in the history of podcasts, and you guys should be pretty privileged to listen to this podcast because it's a good one. In all reality, we do have a really good podcast today. We're going to be joined by Kansas native Seth Niebaum, and he's going to walk us through how he hunts, the terrain he hunts, and uh, some recent success from this past year on an absolute 
giant whitetail uh, that kind of just took him by surprise, showed up one day, and uh, he got the job done. So it's a really good podcast. Uh, I love these success stories uh, with guys who are, you know, put family and work first and then hunt second. And uh, that's definitely what this podcast is about today. So enough screwing around. I guess I got to do a commercial here. And uh, that is Ozonics. Now, I want all of you guys to really think about, you know, when, when I say Ozonics, a lot of people just shut off and say, well, it's too expensive. You know, I'm not, I'm just going to hunt the wind. This unit, Ozonics, has more of a purpose or more of a functionality than just in, in the tree, right? It's awesome in the tree, but also it's awesome in in the garage or in your closet or wherever you store your clothes like I use a Ozonics dry wash bag so I I really think it's um, it allows me to wash my clothes less in scent free and just run the Ozonics uh, in, in the dry wash bag kills all the odor kills all the germs and I have this feeling when I walk into the woods every morning or every hunt like a freshness type of feel to it and I, a lot of that has to do with the Ozonics. So, um, you know, go visit OzonicsHunting.com. Take a look at the, you know, all the products that they make. I'm telling you right now, it's really, really good uh, company owned by really good people. Uh, they are direct to consumer. So, I mean, it's easy to get and they're easy to talk to. If you have any questions, just reach out to the company. Someone will return your call. So, uh, you know, if, if you're interested in dabbling in the o, the ozone game i think you really need to start off with ozonics so uh, ozonicshunting.com go check it out now i did my advertisement i did my intro let's just get into today's i guess hunter profile success bs session story podcast with seth Niebaum. all right on the show with me right now mr seth Niebaum. how you doing man Pretty good. How are you, Dan? Doing pretty good. And uh, if you're on this podcast, it's because you're. We're going to talk about gear, or we're going to BS about how you hunt, or or you had a successful 2018 season. And I can hear the smile coming across your face because I'm looking at a picture right now of an absolute stud whitetail buck. And uh, I'm I'm getting fired up for next season just looking at this particular picture. And we're going to talk all about it. But before we get into today's podcast, why don't you tell everybody where you're from and what do you do for a living? So I live in Wichita, Kansas, which is uh, south central Kansas. But I hunt in north central Kansas about two and a half hours away. And what I do for a living, I guess by training, is I'm a structural engineer. But by what I get paid for now is I just manage people. Yeah. So yeah. The the typical progression, I guess you should say. You you start getting good at something, and then okay, well, if you're good at it, then you know how to manage people, and then you basically are taking what you know and teaching others about it, and making sure they do a good job. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. They take all the fun out of it, right? Yeah, right. Like I don't know, man. I used to, uh, I used to be like tell my boss that you know when I when I took this job that I have now in the interview, um, I I used to say, man, I, yeah, I'm a people person. I, you know, I can I can 
you know, mingle with anybody. And that's in like, when we're talking about deer, I can literally talk to anybody about hunting, but when it comes to work, I told him in the interview, I'm like, I don't think I'm a people person anymore. I still got the job. Right. But I, I, I feel like I'm not, yeah, I, I feel like I'm not as much of a people person as I used to be, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. When it comes to deer or archery, I can talk to anybody about that stuff. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. I get it. All right. Big whitetails in Kansas, huh? Big whitetails in Kansas. We've got some left. Yes, yeah. we do. Man, I tell you what, this this buck's got some mass, and uh, I think I think where where we start is you you mentioned that you live or you hunt mostly north of Wichita. Uh, two hours north yep. of Wichita. Um, why don't you describe the general terrain in that area? So the general terrain would be mostly flat. You know, it's right. Kansas is mostly flat, but there are some some hill some hilly areas. the The area specifically around where I hunt is very flat. So, right. you know, it's it's I wouldn't even call it rolling terrain. It's just flat. I mean. There's maybe 20 foot of elevation change on the property that I hunt on. Maybe 30. It's not that much. I mean, it's very, it's very, very flat. It's just, a, you know, creek bottoms, agriculture. Right. And rivers. So there's not a lot going on. Okay. All agriculture. All ag. So I'm looking at, I, I'm envisioning in my head just a lot of fence rows uh, and wherever the yeah. water, water creek systems are, that's where you're going to find trees. Yeah, I mean, you're going to find some fence rows for sure. Any any type of running water is going to have something for trees, that, whether it's locust trees or cottonwoods. Or, but you're not going to find big blocks. Of, you just won't find big blocks of timber. Right. So you're hunting creeks and you're hunting river bottoms if you can get access. And you can even hunt them in CRP fields if they got just a you know, ditch running through them with trees, and they'll, they'll live on that stuff too. Yeah. Okay. So – I'm trying to pull up a map here. Two hours north of Wichita. Okay, I'm looking now. I see. I see. Lots of ag, uh, like you mentioned. So when when you're hunting, is your strategy mostly on the ground? Or are you, are you have enough trees to where you can, you know, hunt out of a tree stand? So the farm I killed that big deer on, it's got enough trees that are big enough to hang. I use hang on, so I use lone wolves. And so now you have to be selective, so you can't just hang in every tree on the properties. So you're, you're sort of limited on tree stands. I've done the ground blind thing a few times, and I think I need to do a better job. If I want to do that tac- use that tactic, I need to do a better job of brushing them in because I got picked off, like, within the first doe that saw it picked me off. Right. But we use ground blinds a lot for turkeys. Okay. But for deer, you, 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 got, you like to get high, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I try to get 15 or 17 feet if I can. There's not a lot. Of, I mean, even the cottonwoods that I'm hunting out of, if you get that high, you're doing pretty good. Right. They're just, they, they, they branch, the trunks branch off and it's, you know, sometimes it can be a challenge to get into them. So gotcha. I like 15 or 17 feet works really good for me. Right. Okay. So my uncle, he lives Northeast of Wichita, a ways uh, over by the Emporia area. And oh yeah, yeah, and he 
he's he moved into a really good place to shoot big mature deer and I've been out there before and from the terrain features you know obviously like you said nothing just trees in the fence rows trees in the you know the crick systems if there are and even if there's a crick system doesn't mean they're trees and these crick systems have really steep steep banks is that roughly the same description that's a pretty good description, you know. I, I've got some friends that live in the Lebo area, which is outside of Emporia, and I know I know that terrain very well too. Yeah, you're 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 describing it really well. I don't. I would the creek on the farm that I'm hunting that that farm that I killed that deer on it. I wouldn't necessarily have steep banks, but it's got very uh, well defined banks, and so yeah, they're muddy, and there's not a lot of stuff that grows on those. Okay, all right. So, what are what's the deer population like in that in that area? So I think you'll, you would get a lot of different answers based on everybody's different properties. The farm and the farm area that I'm hunting in, it's got a very high deer population, but it's heavily concentrated. You know, right. if you did a deer per acre type of thing, it's going to be low for the area, but that specific area because it's, or that specific farm and creek system is going to be high. Gotcha. Because all the deer that live, well, you know, all the deer that live within a few miles, either direction of that creek live on the creek. Yeah. And so... In late winter, like now, I wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see 100 to 200 deer out on various parts of that area feeding it in the in the evenings. Yeah, but you could go a mile east or west of that farm and not see a single animal. Okay, because there would actually be no trees at all. All right. So as spring comes and as crops come in, is is this is this ag field or is this cattle pasture ground? So the farm that I'm on has about a hundred acres of tillable on it, and so it's an I hunt on a quarter. The other, the, you know, the balance of that sixty-acre balance is kind of a mix of pasture and then a lot of timber, and that is all fenced off. And the the landowner does run cattle on it starting in November. Okay. So from about November to February, she's got cattle on it, which does pose a few challenges when you try to hunt it. So. So you're sharing you're sharing a hunting property with with cattle as well i sure do yes yeah talk to me talk to me a little bit about that does you you mentioned some difficulties do they screw up a lot of your hunts or in a weird way does their existence there also i guess make access into certain parts of the farm easier for you because they're used to noise and disturbance that's actually, you know, it's a little of both, and you make a really good point. So when I first started hunting the farm in nine, ten seasons ago, I would hunt, and, the, you know, the cattle, they'll find you. And so you can be in a tree, and you can hear the parade come by, and they'll find you in a tree, and then they'll just hang out for a while. And so that can definitely screw up a hunt. But you're, you're right. The, the, the deer are pretty used to disturbances because the cattle – are there for, you know, four or five months. And okay. so that means the landowner's there feeding, watering, checking fence. And so I do think there's a part of that that plays to my advantage. Right. Because I don't, like I can, I, when I go to check, if I go to check cameras, like during season, I'll just act like I'm a farmer. Yeah. You know, I'll, I shouldn't say act like a farmer. You know, I, I, I'd make sure that I don't, do anything that's not like abnormal. So I just drive in like I own the joint. Yeah. I don't worry about spooking deer out of it. Cause I just, I know that 
they're used to human they're used to some amount of human presence and human pressure right right okay so then as as spring you know starts coming in and they get crops in and and, you know crops start growing i take it they disperse a little bit from uh from the property what are the what are the deer doing in the spring and summertime so on the farm that I'm hunting on, that or at least that one farm, they disperse pretty heavily. And so a lot of times come, you know, come shed hunting season, so to speak, I don't find a lot of sheds. And I think the best year I've ever had, I found maybe 10 sheds on the farm. And there's obviously a lot of deer around. Right. So there's like a core, there's like a core group of does, like a doe family group that basically lives on the farm all the time. And so I can get picture the, uh, the pictures of those, doe, those does and their fawns you know, in July and June and July during the summertime, but I don't necessarily get a lot of pictures of velvet bucks. Yeah. Because I think a lot of them go to the river because I'm not, I'm not, I'm about three miles from a major river. And so I think a lot of them go to the river where there's, you know, more constant source of water. I think the feed quality is probably better closer to the river because the ground, the soil moisture is going to be higher. Right. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of dispersal of the deer. And so the density on my farm goes down you know, late winter. So like February, March timeframe, I think the, a lot of the deer disperse back anticipating that green up. Okay. So, so they disperse. And then when do, when do the deer start showing back up on your farm? Is it that, that September shift time that we always talk about where once uh, the, the velvet starts coming off, then the deer start to, uh, you know, move a little bit more. They start, you know, scraping and rubbing activity and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, the, the majority of, you know, of the bucks are coming back, you know, like you said, September timeframe, I can usually start counting on picking up. I mean, there's definitely some bucks that live on the property year round or live in the area year round, but I definitely pick up a lot more deer you know, mid-September, when they go hard antler, if I'm not picking up deer by then, I start getting a little bit concerned. Obviously, in the middle of October, that's when I know, okay, what, what deer are going to be here consistently? You know, once that, you know, the the shift happens, once October comes, they start hitting scrapes. I can start picking most of the, what I'm going to call the residents up. I, I can count on seeing those deer through the se- through the rest of the season. And how how many bucks would you say uh, do that? What's like the the locals? So usually, usually you're uh, usually I have two or three. Sometimes sometimes I've had none on camera at all during the summer. Okay. Usually two or th- usually I have two or three mature deer on camera during the summer, and then by the time October comes, I could pick up another three or four, and then in November it's hard to tell what's going to happen because. You could pick up a, a deer like I got not this year or even other, you know, other big mature deer will just show up randomly for a week here or there. Right. Right. It's, 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 it's very hard to, you know, it's, it's hard to predict what's going to happen come November for anybody. So, yeah. you know, come hunting season, when I start hunting, I, I usually have five or six mature, mature animals around. They may not be consistently on the farm day to day, but I, I'll be getting pictures of them, you know, a couple times a week on different areas. Okay. All right. So 
on an average hunt, right? Are, are you the kind of guy who likes to sit all day long when you go in, or are you a morning get out, go back, hunt evenings? Well, I used to be an all day guy, but I just it's and it depends on the year to year what the what the crops have been. Like this year, it was corn, and the deer would feed in the cut corn all night long, and so come I couldn't go in in the morning. I mean, I guess I could have, but I was. The two or three, I went in maybe once or twice this year in the morning, and I was, you know, my headlight, my headlamp was just shining deer the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've got to the point now where I don't really hunt mornings. I, I'm totally fine going in about, you know, coming in about noon or one o'clock, or even sometimes later. Like some year, sometimes I'll drive up from my from home, and not get there till about two o'clock and go in, and I'll be on the tree in the tree by three. Yeah, I prefer, I prefer the afternoon because the deer are going to be back in, you know, they're going to be back in cover and I've got ways I can walk into my, one of my sets where they don't really see me. And so I just, then I'm just a waiting game for them to come back out. Got you. So how far do you feel like obviously Kansas with all the ag, you know, it's just one giant food source. So they, they, they have, <laughs> they have food everywhere. So it's similar to Iowa, right? I mean, they have food everywhere. And unless it's winter time, like outside right now, there's probably eight inches of snow on the ground, if not more where I live. Uh, so, you know, they have to work for it a little bit harder, but you know, down in Kansas, you got a warmer climate. Is there any standing snow on the ground right now? Uh, definitely not where I'm at. And I don't think I've not been to the farm in a couple of weeks. I don't think they've got standing snow either. We had a, we had a clip of snow maybe last week to almost 10 days ago now. And I can't imagine any, that's still around. We got really warm over the weekend. Yeah. We had to, they had to hit the fifties on Saturday and Sunday. So I doubt there's any standing snow around. Okay. So with that said, I mean, how far are these deer bedding from and I, I'm, I'm going to say the food source, and I'm going to put that in air quotes, because with there being such an abundant, uh, an abundant food source, and you know, all around, how do you know where they're going to come out every night with you know just limited trees and more open ground than cover? If that makes sense. So they're probably not bedding, but well, the one one of the strips that so there's a so. From the north to the south, there's like a hundred. There's only like a hundred yard strip of timber for a quarter mile. So if they're bedding in there, they're fifty-ish yards from food source at all times. Right. But there's a forty-acre. You know, the the southwest quarter of the is a forty acres of pasture. So they could be bedding in there as well. So through the years, like I said, I've been hunting on this farm for almost I think ten seasons now. This would be this would have been my tenth. Just from years of hunting and running trail cameras, they have some preferred locations to enter into the food source. And so I just have picked a spot because I hunt basically, if I'm going to hunt that, if I'm going to hunt that food source, I'm going to pick, I have picked one spot that I hunt of, out of almost all the time because they cross a fence. You know, it's not a low spot in the fence, but it's just a preferred location in the fence that they like to cross at. And I just happen to pick up on that pattern of, like in 2012, I picked up on this pattern where they would, that was one of their preferred locations. And so you may not have, a, you may not have a, a shot at opportunity every time that you sit there and you can only sit there on a, like a certain wind. But if you do sit there, you definitely have a higher probability of deer crossing the fence at that location just because it's a preferred location for them. Right. 
Right. The other three spots that they, the other three spots that I've kind of identified as preferred locations. One of them I tried to run a ground blind at, and it was, and I it was highly unsuccessful just because I think they had not been habituated to the blind yet. But I think you might be able to make that work. I think if I had like a hay bale blind, I could make the third spot work really well, but you would be hosed by the wind. Like as soon as the deer entered the food source, they'd be downwind of you. Like, so it's one of those spots that looks really, really good on a map and you'll get really good pictures there, but you probably can't hunt it very well. And then the fourth spot, I think you could hunt out of a ground blind as well, but I just, I just not haven't tried it yet. Cause I've been having so much success doing what I've been doing. It's, I haven't felt like the need to kind of branch out on different, different ways and different tactics. Right. Well, why change if you don't have to? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of my philosophy right now is it's been working for me for several years, I, so I don't feel like an inclination to change. I'd like to do some different things just because I think I could get better opportunities because I have like a seven-year-old daughter. Well, my daughter will be seven this weekend. And so I'm like, I'm looking to get her more into the hunting part of it, not just going with me to find sheds and stuff. But and I need to, So I need to think about other ways to hunt the farm so that she can be, you know, she can be an active part of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. So as the, you know, as the rut, as we all get closer to the rut and the deer, you know, the, the bucks start moving, you know, obviously down there, they got, they got to cover greater distances to find hot does. You know, once, once a group is bred, they got to travel longer distances, how long do you have any, do you run trail cameras, um, between farms to, to where you could say, well, one time I saw, uh, a buck cover, you know, five miles in 24 hours or something like that. I mean, are they, are they traveling long distances? Well, they definitely do. And I, I'm an, I'm okay. Friends air quotes with one of the neighbors, and he, he runs some cameras and he's got permission on, he basically has permission on the properties that surround me. And so I've, I've exchanged pictures with him before. And for sure he's get, he gets pictures of deer that I have on camera as well. And he, he tells me stories about deer that I've never seen before. And then like the deer I killed this year, I had asked him about it as well. And he said, Oh, this deer lives South and West of you down on this other piece, which is over two miles away. Yeah. So if I take him at his word, you know, that deer that I shot this year was living two miles away and had made it up to the farm I hunt on in December. Okay. But, you know, another, I just thought about this a couple of years ago, I was hunting on a different farm that my buddy's grandma owns and I filmed a deer uh, on that farm that ended up getting killed like five miles away by another friend of mine who's an outfitter. And I showed him the video and I looked at his, his kill photograph with his client. I'm like, that is the same deer. Yeah. And it's, we knew it was five miles away. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely, uh, they definitely put on the miles during the rut. Oh, they definitely, yeah, exactly. It's like I said, it's like three miles to the river. And I, I don't have any like proof that this happens, but I know that deer that live up on the river come all the way down to the farm that I'm hunting on. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they have to go somewhere and I don't, and I don't always see them in during the summer. So they're, they're somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. So during the rut, how many, how many deer do you typically see in a, in a set? Oh, I mean, on a really good night, I could see 30. 
30. You know, it's mostly going to be does and yeah, I, mostly going to be does. They're fawn, they're fawns from the year and young bucks, but I can, it's not unusual to see 30 deer. Okay. You oh. know, they may not, a lot of them won't be in bow range at all, but you know, and then especially if you get a buck chasing, it's like a circus. I mean, they'll come out in the food source and then it's kind of Katie bar the door. They're going to be everywhere. Yeah. So, so obviously you can see a long ways, right? Put up your binos and, and count 30 deer coming in and out of either your property or neighboring properties, but within, within bow range, it's just a handful. Yeah. I mean, some, yeah, some nights it's just a handful. Some nights it's none. Like I said, I'm hunting, you know, the, the way I primarily hunt that food source is on a fence crossing and sometimes they just don't use it. And so I can watch a parade of deer coming out of other areas, like especially south of me. They'll cross the fence south of me by about 150 yards, and I can just watch them go because they're going to go to a different property. And it's it's like it literally is like a circus parade, just doe after doe after doe, and then eventually you'll see bucks pop out, and nothing I can do about it at that time. But yeah, a lot of times it's no deer at all in range, and then some nights it's you know 10, 15 deer will cross that fence in this one spot, and it's. You know, if I had unlimited doe tags, I could shoot any one of them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So with all this said, right, you have goals going into, uh, you know, going into your season. What are you looking for for an age class and score of buck every year? I'd like. I'd like a, a four a four year old if I can sort of quote unquote verify it right. You know we're just making guesses. So I, I look for four and a half as a maturity. You know score. I, I've killed a lot of I've killed some big deer for sure. But it's like score isn't necessarily the ultimate goal. You know a lot of the big maturity on that farm don't necessarily get big antlers by by like maybe my standards right. right. I would prefer to shoot 150 inch deer every year. But that's that's maybe not realistic at all times. So usually it's age, and I'd I would prefer to shoot five year olds if I could find if I could had one all the time that was consistent. Okay. But I'm I'm totally good. I'm totally okay with shooting a four year old. Okay. So four on on average four year old every year, um, and what what's a good representation of a four year old where in the area you hunt? I mean, obviously the one you shot was a giant, but typically are you looking in like the the one forties one fifty range or or where? Yeah, I mean, a, a solid representation is going to be, you know, four-year-old 10-pointer, you know, that's going to score probably upper 140s into the 150s. That's going to be, that's going to be, a, I think, a good representation of what is, I wouldn't say expected, to, what you can expect to do, but, like, to me, that's a good representation. Four-year-old, that's about 145, 150 inches okay. as a clean 10-point. That's, I, mean, I think that's doable for, for a lot of properties. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So this year, now we're now let's talk at the beginning of this year. Do you run? How often do you make it up north to your hunting farm? So in the summer, I try to go every five weeks. So I, I, I oftentimes I put a camera out in the middle of July, and I like to get it checked before uh, Labor Day. So five or six weeks. And then once, once like our season starts in middle of September, our, our quote unquote primitive season does. And then archery really starts October one, I think I try to go every, I try to start going every two weeks 
just because there's so much, you know, there's so much transition going on with food sources. You know, this year there was a lot of corn in the area. And so as more and more of the corn was harvested, there was more and more transition of, of deer, not just bucks, but does as well coming out of the corn and into areas that still had cover. So I tried to go every two weeks to just to check on that process. I don't, I very rarely hunt in October. So I have to live in podcast, like live vicariously through podcasts of guys who are hunting. Cause I very rarely hunt in October. Okay. Just you, trying to play my odds better. And so. That, is that, what's that? What are the reasons for that? Just because of your time and your family, or is it because, you know, with wide open properties like this, the, the pressure is just amplified if you're hitting it in October. I'm just trying to play the, play the, play the odds, put the odds more in my favor. Like I could hunt that farm in October, just having, like I said, having years of experience on this particular property. I just haven't had a lot of high activity from like target class bucks. And so, yeah, I have, you know, I have a wife, she's got a corporate type job. I've got a daughter. And so to, to use my, my, uh, go away from home time more judiciously i would rather do it in november and then into december than go up there in october when i typically don't have a lot of you know good reconnaissance on deer that are moving a lot in daylight gotcha yeah so how often i mean you're running trail cameras i take it yes yep and uh so are they are they cell cams that they can get you the information back to where you can be like, hey, honey, I gotta go. There's a buck on the farm right now. I gotta go. <laughs> or is it just like you dedicate a certain amount of time, like a week or two every year, and then when you're up there, you're up there, and then if you get one, you don't. You do. If you don't, you don't. So I don't I don't run cell cams, and part of that reason, and I think this is I think this is getting better, but the cell service on that farm is is total shit. Yeah. So I may not be able to even call anybody from my church, from a tree stand anywhere on the farm, especially if I'm the, the few times that I like hunt in the cover, like sometimes I can't get a signal at all. So I've not run the, I've not played the cell cam game primarily for that reason. I really, I really would like to, because I do spend a lot of time and I can, I, mean, I can take my daughter with me and she enjoys that. And I enjoy that time with her and teaching her about the outdoors, but that's a lot of fuel and a lot of time because it takes me, you know, it takes me say six hours, it takes me five hours of driving an hour running around t- checking cameras and pulling cards. Right. So that's like six hours out of a day. And even though it's sometimes it's six hours with my daughter, I could, it's definitely not the best quality time. So I wish I could do the cell cam game right now. The, the quality of the signal is not good enough. Now, once the season comes around, I do try to plan, you know, a long weekend here and there, but I hunt a lot on the weather. And so sometimes I don't know, you know, weather forecasts aren't that reliable at seven days. My wife wishes they were reliable out to 30 so I could just plan this crap out and not be (laughs) bothering her all the time. She knows better now. Like this year, she went, well, yeah. Yeah. So not to derail, like a couple of years ago, I shot a deer and this was early November. And she's like, does that mean you're done deer hunting now? And I was like, no. I've got another month and a half of hunting I can do, even though I can only shoot antlerless deer. It's like, I'm not done. So I hunt on the, I hunt on weather. And so if it's, if I see a good cold front coming, that's going to have produce a consistent North to Northwest wind, I'm going to take the time off and go. And sometimes that works with her schedule and sometimes it doesn't. So I get to sit home and pout about it, but 
that's what I primarily try to do is, is, you know, three or four days in advance schedule out. Okay. Well, I, this is a good win for this set. I'm going to go. And, and I need to, what I need to do is I need to work on getting some sets that work for South winds. Cause I've been getting screwed on that deal for the last two seasons. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So was this buck that you ended up shooting this year, was it a, oh, my God, he just showed up, I'm going to shoot him? Or did you have any type of history with this deer? I had zero, zero verified history with this deer. It was an, oh, my God, where did this deer come from? That when I sat on that, when I sat that tree on the 2nd of, of December. Okay. All right. I mean, I'd never seen a deer even, I mean, you're not going to see deer like this in everywhere anyways, but I'd never seen a deer remotely like this on that farm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he blows anything I've ever seen on that farm out of the water. Yeah. Okay. So let's start at the beginning of the season then. Was there a deer that you had on radar that, you know, was, was hopping on, on, was showing up on trail cameras that you were interested in? And did you have a hit list put together uh, before the season even started? Oh yeah, for sure. There was a, there's a deer I'd had on cameras for three years. This is the third year I had him on camera and he was, uh, just a giant bodied buck. He was, I think this year he was five and a half, just a mainframe eight pointer, really solid brow tines, great twos. His threes had kind of gone, they had fluctuated year to year on how big they were, but he would have probably been a, you know, a 140 inch type of eight, of an eight pointer. Yeah. That's a big, and he was really my target animal. Big, just a big eight pointer, you know, a classic eight pointer, big sleeping beams. He's, I mean, nothing, nothing gigantic, right? Nothing that's making a magazine cover, but just a solid deer. Would have loved to have got him for two reasons. Number one, he was a big deer, but number, you know, the second reason was he was a bully. You know, he's one of those bully bucks that guys talk about. Yep. Yep. You know, I, I had watched him push other deer off and I, I had a suspicion that part of why I was losing, I had lost a few young studs like, in the off season, like I, I figured part of the reason was because this deer had, had become the man. Yeah. And so I was targeting that deer for this season. And then I had another, I had a couple of other deer, like as a backup plan, so to speak. And then there was a, the, the second deer that I really would have been targeting. I didn't even have on camera until the week of Thanksgiving. Yeah. Just a big classic 10 pointer. I picked up his shit a couple seasons ago, and it, as of what I thought he was a three-year-old, he would have scored in the almost probably a 150-inch three-year-old. And so he hadn't showed up until Thanksgiving anyways, and so I wasn't really – he was like one of those in-the-back-of-the-mind deer. If that deer shows up, I'll switch my gears, but I was really targeting that eight-pointer. Right, right. So the the rut hits – I mean, did, did you hunt that farm at all before November? I did, I did not hunt that farm at all until like November the 9th was the first time I sat. Okay. November the 9th. Right. So obviously you killed your buck on November, uh, you know, or excuse me, in December 4th, you said. Yeah. December 2nd, Sunday on in December. Yep. Okay. So you hunted or you, you hunted the entire month of November on, on this farm. uh, And, you know, obviously, didn't get the you know didn't have the encounters didn't get the job done um what kind of encounters did you have throughout you know this this past november so i never had any shoot i never had any shootable encounters with that eight pointer i had a and so i saw him a few times and it was almost always at 
200 yards with a doe. And so, like I said, I think he had, he had become the man on that farm. Yeah. And he was so distinguishable. You could tell him by his grunt. Like he had one of those just deep guttural grunts that oh, you could, really? when you heard it in the timber, you, yeah. Oh yeah. You can. So the first night I, the first night I sat was November the 9th and I heard his, I mean, it was so, it was so unusually deep and loud. I was like, I'd only ever heard that one other time and it was from another really big buck. And so I just started paying attention to where that grunt came. And I saw that buck with a doe and he just was with her the rest of the night where uh, like they were, he was glued onto her. And so I didn't have any, 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 I'd never got an encounter with that deer to shoot. I had a, there was a four-year-old 10 pointer on that farm that has really, he's, he's nothing special, but he's mature. He gave me one shot opportunity, like on the 11th, but I didn't take, cause I, you know, it was still early. wasn't really on my hit, my quote unquote hit list, but the season had kind of, the season during November for me, had kind of been a little bit of a, of a downer. You know, I didn't have a lot of close encounters with mature deer. I had definitely had a lot of encounters with young bucks. And that can happen sometimes on that farm just because of the way that I'm hunting it, right? I'm hunting it as they come out to food. And so a big buck's going to have to be with a doe group and not on a single doe usually for that to happen. So it's a pretty low risk um, tactic that I'm using right now on that farm. So, yeah, I'd seen that big eight pointer at distance a couple times. He was everything I thought he was, just a big, giant-bodied deer that was going to be the man on the farm. Gotcha. And uh, he was either with a doe or too far away every time. Yeah, and he was always with a doe. I never saw him without a doe. Yeah. It was crazy. I mean, every time I every time I hunted during November and I saw him, he was with a doe. What were your trail cameras telling you? Um, Mostly... I mean, so my trail cameras, I had a trail cam. Well, one problem I had was the cows really got into one of my trail cameras this year. That's on a great spot. And so it was telling me what the sky looked like 24 seven. Yeah. That camera was, that camera became worthless because they, every time I'd reset it, they'd bump it. So that camera wasn't telling me much of anything though. One of my, so I had another camera on the West side of the farm, which I don't really hunt on. And I was getting a lot of pictures of does and a lot of pictures of immature bucks, nothing big and nothing tremendous. The camera closest to my stand, there was a lot of nighttime. There was a lot of nighttime movement, right? And they were spending a ton of time in that cornfield. It's all cut corn. And then one of the weird things that I noticed this year was that there was a lot of waste grain in that field. Yeah. And I don't know if it was the maintenance on the equipment was poor or what, but there was just a ton of waste grain. You'd find whole cobs of corn out there. And so the deer were just living in that cornfield at yeah. night. So yeah. I was getting a lot of nighttime movement. You know, I get a lot of does on camera, a lot of immature bucks, which is normal. And then every once in a while, you get a big buck at night, you know, either that eight pointer or, you know, some other random mature deer would show up on camera. It was nothing that was really consistent, nothing that was like actionable, right? It wasn't like, oh, this buck is coming through here every day Yeah. at four o'clock. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, I mean, just kind of a lackluster November then? Yeah, and I kind of, I, I kind of suspected it would be a lackluster season. Uh, not w- the deer I killed, notwithstanding, right? Right. Just because I didn't have a lot of stuff on camera, even building into October, you know, I kept getting the same. I was pick, I picked up like two additional mature deer, so I really had like five of them on camera this year going into the season, going into like November. Or so, but I didn't have anything that was like that 150 inch type of deer. Right. 
And so I kind of was expecting, okay, you know, tone your expectations down, be satisfied taking a big, a big mature deer. So I, I didn't have a lot of like lofty goals once I started hunting. Right. I mean, I think a lot of guys who hunt in Kansas or Iowa or, you know, whatever big buck states are like, anytime a giant could step out, which is definitely true, but it's like, I didn't have like a lofty expectation as I sat down that first night in November. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So November, November comes to an end. How many, how many days did you really concentrate on that farm? I mean, did you take like a two week vacation, a one week vacation and head up there? Because it sounds to me like you went up there, left, and then decided to come back. Yeah. So I go, I went up there. I think I hunted, I think I hunted only four days in the month of November. Oh, wow. Which isn't necessarily unusual. Yeah. I don't go up there for weeks at a time. I, and I, it's not unusual for me to go up. Like I said, I can drive up in the morning, be there by noon and in the stand. And then if I don't have a successful hunt, and even if I do, I'll drive home that night. And so I get home at, you know, if I don't kill anything, I can get home by eight or eight thirty nine. And if I do, I may roll in at one o'clock in the morning. Right. Okay. So it's not unusual for me to turn and burn as it is. Yeah. Okay. So, so a lot of driving in, you know, I take it that it, the, the farm's either hot or it's not right. Yeah. I mean, if in a lot of it, like I said earlier, like a lot of it, I base it off of what the wind direction is going to do. Yeah. Because okay. the way that the, the way that the way that I have it, the way that I'm set up for at least that that particular stand, like I said, I don't really have a good stand for a south wind. So anytime the wind's going to blow out of the south, I'm kind of hosed. Yeah. And so if I get a north or a northwest, I'm on it. Like if it's cold or a cold front's coming and it's going to switch the wind to the north northwest, I'm on it. And we just we just didn't get a lot of that this year. And when we did get it, it was like Thanksgiving, right? And I'm like, well, we got Thanksgiving to do. I can't just jet out of the house. So. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Got to take care of the family duties. So what brought you back to the farm on the the day that you ended up killing this buck? So, so a couple things happened. Well, I was, I was planning, I, I, I don't have a problem hunting in rifle season or firearm season with my bow. You know, whatever, I wear my orange like I'm supposed to do. I actually feel, and I'm starting to feel like this more and more, that firearm season is a benefit to me because there are firearms hunters than, that hunt the adjacent properties. And so I think they pressure enough deer that I pick up additional animals. So the weekend, so the weekend before I killed that deer was right after Thanksgiving. We had a, they had a blizzard rolled through that dumped a bunch of snow, a bunch of high wind and the farm I hunt on is all is the best cover around for several miles. Okay. And so I had kind of been paying attention to that, that, I think that was, I thought that would probably potentially move some deer. Yep. Uh, then obviously rifle season started on the, starts the first Wednesday after uh, Thanksgiving, which would have been during that week. And so I kind of assumed, and I was keeping tabs with the neighbor. I was like, hey, have you guys been seeing anything? And I don't always trust that they tell me all the right information, but I, I at least asked the question. And so he'd said they'd been hunting and I figured they'd been pressuring animals. And then I, the wind was just going to be perfect. It was going to be cold front was coming through on Saturday. It dumped some snow. It dumped a bunch of rain and then some snow on Saturday, the first, and the wind was supposed to be light and out of the North Northwest. And I was like, I got to go. Yeah. Like there was too many, there was too many factors that was, were playing into my favor for me to not go. And so that's, I planned ahead with my wife. I said, Hey, I'm going to go up Sunday morning. 
Well, and then another thing happened during the week. My, the landowner's son texted me and said, hey, somebody drove through the property, took out the neighbor's fence. Do you have a camera that may have got them on camera? And I said, I have a camera over on that side. I'll come up and check the cameras and tell you what I find. So I was going to go to hunt anyways, but it was like I had this other reason now where I could help out and see who, who had drove through the property, drove through the neighbor's property, nobody happy about that whole situation. So I had some reasons to go, but obviously everything was just kind of pointing to you better go on that day because all the factors are playing into your favor. Yeah, absolutely. So you show up. Um, well, first off, did you, did you get a trail camera picture of uh, anybody tearing up the property? I did. Did, did they get I got in trouble? two pictures. Um, uh, I think they're going to. I got you. <laughs> I, you don't have to go into I any detail about it. I was just curious because, I, man, I would love to catch some bastard uh, messing with my shit, dude. I, I, I'm sick of it. And uh, anyway, that's off on a whole nother little Well, thing. you know, that was one. You know, I followed your saga with people stealing your shit. And I'm like, so this guy, this guy texts me. And he's like, hey, this happened. And I'm like, son of a bitch. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, some of my stuff is pretty visible, right? Right. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm, I have a, that camera that I got the pictures on is a, is a Reconyx. Yeah. And that's not a cheap camera. And I use Lone Wolf, I use Lone Wolf tree stands. Like those aren't cheap tree stands. Right. It's like if someone saw my gear, right, they could easily steal it out of a tree and I'd be out several, well, in, in that case, probably over a thousand dollars. Yeah. With sticks, stand, camera. And I have another Reconyx close to that tree stand as well. So I was, just, I was a little hot. Yeah. Especially because they, they ended up coming back and doing it again. And I got them on camera the second time. And so that's why I'm not sure where everything's going to end up playing out on that deal. But, like, I was not happy. Yeah. All right. Well, like I said, I had reasons to be there, but I was planning to hunt anyways. Right. Okay. So how many – was was this a, a, a one-night hunt, or did this little little trip span out to a couple days? It was going to be a one-nighter. A one-nighter. Okay. Whether I killed or not, whether I killed a deer or not, I was coming home that night. Okay. I had to be to work on Monday. Gotcha. Oh, so this was a Sunday night. This is a Sunday night. Okay. All right. So why don't you just walk us through from the time that you left your truck to the time that you know you you saw him? So it wasn't it wasn't actually a long time. I I got dressed because I I park way up on the east side of the property which is one of those things that i learned through the years is like go away to the east take a long long route come in like with some cover and you'll be golden so i had like a 600 yard walk and that's not when you talk about a property that's only 160 acres i'm way out there so i walk into my stand i get everything drug up kind of get situated and i text my buddy i said it just feels like a type of day that you're going to kill a deer and that was probably about one o'clock. And so I'm just sitting, sitting there. And like I said, there was some fresh snow on the ground, which I love because it makes the deer a lot more visible. They pop against that white background. And so to my West was where I had expected the deer to come. And so I was kind of paying attention to that direction. And I started seeing a bunch of does and I don't know if the cattle were moving around and pushing them out of the bedding areas, but they were up and kind of just milling around in this thicket. So I threw my glass up and I'm looking and sure enough, does, does, small buck, small buck. 
and I saw another, I saw a rack and I looked at it and I was like, okay, I know that deer, it's the big eight pointer. But the more I studied, more I looked at it and the more I studied, I was like, that's not the eight pointer because that deer is way too big for that. And that was probably about 145. Like, so I've been in this tree stand for maybe 45 minutes and this big deer and he pops up and I start going through my mind. Okay. Have I ever seen this deer? Definitely not this year. What about last year? I don't recall seeing him last year. And then, so then I'm like, well, I've never seen this deer before. But I, so I text my buddy again. I was like, I just saw a monster and he gets like super excited. And so that's about, like I said, that's about like 145 when I see this deer for the very first time. How far away was he? Like 70 yards okay. and it was completely unshootable. So the inside the fence on that area is just a bunch of locusts and they're not fully grown locust trees. They're just so maybe 15 to 20 foot tall locust trees. And so you can't shoot back into that. Right. You'd have to clear I mean, and I've considered it. You'd have to clear a bunch of stuff out and I wouldn't take a 70. Well, I don't think I would take a 70 yard <laughs> shot, but I certainly considered it. Late. I certainly considered it later on that day. Right. Right. All right. So, so you saw him for the first time. You had kind of an oh shit moment because obviously this was a deer that you had never seen before. Uh, he's gigantic and he's on your farm. What was he doing when you saw him? It was I mean, did he seem like he was at attention or did he seem calm and collective and just kind of working his way through? He was totally, I mean, all the deer were totally calm, right? The wind was in my favor. I got in clean. I hadn't bumped anything off. So he was totally calm. He was just, he was doing what the rest of the deer were doing. They were just kind of milling around, you know, doing a little bit of browsing. Like I said, it was pretty early in the afternoon, but they were kind of browsing. He was, he might've been bumping a doe here and there. Cause he definitely was a little bit, you could tell he was still a little bit ruddy. Right. And even though it's kind of post rut, he was definitely nosing does. Right. He was certainly interested for sure. Okay. Okay. So you saw him. Did you, did you say to yourself, Hey, I got a rattle or I got a call or did you have this feeling that they were going to work their way through right past you? So I, I assumed, and I don't do a lot of calling and rattling anyways, because I, I've done, you know, I've done that in the past. It's one of those things where I like to be as kind of as unknown as I can be. Right. Cause I'm trying to rely on them to naturally move through an area. So I certainly do carry a call. I would probably not rattle in December on that farm anyways. So I just kind of sat there with the anticipation that they will likely come out into this bottom at some point. Now, whether or not I got a shot would be a different story altogether. So I kind of assumed at some point they would naturally work their way out to feed into the cornfield. Okay. All right. And so did he disappear for a while and then show back up or did, did you have eyes yeah, he, on him the yeah, entire he certainly time? Did. I wish I had eyes on him the entire time. It would have made it a lot easier to sit there. Now he walked off, he milled off with the rest of the, the herd towards the, more towards the North, which is still, a, it's still a thick, just a thicket. Right. Right. And so I had glass on him for a while he moved off and I just kept looking back in that area and I saw that this other 10 pointer that I talked about earlier, that was kind of in the back of my mind. He was with this deer too. And that's the first time I'd ever, that was the first time I'd ever seen that deer on the hoof either. Right. I had lots of pictures of him, but I'd never seen him before. And the thing that struck me the most was like, I had a visual image of this deer, this, this big deer and I had, a, and I could see this other deer and I was, he was small. Like 
this deer is going to score 160 inches and he looks small in my head now compared to this other deer. So I was like mentally thinking, okay, is there any way that I don't hold out this big deer to come across if he does? Yeah. Okay. So you, you, you know, obviously when you're sitting in a tree stand, your mind starts firing on all cylinders and you're coming up with all these crazy, like, scenarios where where some scenario you're passing 160 inch uh, you know 160 inch buck to get to a bigger buck and uh you know obviously it sounds like you didn't have to make that uh you didn't have to make that decision yeah i didn't end up i didn't end up having to make that decision when i drove up that morning i kind of had in my mind i was like i'll kill one of three deer today and it'll be the first one of these that presents a shot it'd be that eight pointer that we talked about this other 10 pointer that I had had in the back of my mind, cause I finally started getting pictures of him. And then it was like any mystery buck that I, that I don't know exists. Right. And so it just happened to play out that it was the mystery buck that took the arrow. But yeah, I, I went into the day with a plan. Like I was going to shoot one of those three deer if presented an opportunity. Right. Cause my, my wife was like, why do you got to keep hunting? And I'm like, well, cause I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. All right. So, so then, he disappears how much longer until he showed back up again and how far was he when he showed back up so it was somewhere somewhere around 315 again so this was about 90 minutes later i was watching a doe and i saw her she came out she jumped the fence went through a small little draw and out into the cornfield and you could tell that you know you've hunted long enough you know when a, what a doe looks like when she's being followed right right she just kept looking back and looking back and i was like okay which buck is with her and it a two and a half year old deer that I've got a lot of hopes for in the next couple of years popped out behind her. But I could tell she kept looking again and I could tell that this was not the last buck that was with her. And so, like I said, about three fifteen, this big deer pops out into the open cornfield at about when he first popped out, he was probably 75 yards. By the time he actually got out to where the doe was at, he was at 80 yards. And that's when my mind was like, Hmm, I shoot a lot of distance. I wonder if I could make that shot. So I threw the rangefinder up and he was about 80 yards and he, he, that's when I could, he, he was nosing her around like he was still a little ruddy and she was definitely not interested. But when he did that, she pointed directly at me and started walking and I thought, Oh shit, this is going to happen now. Yeah. And so I got the bow down and I waited and then he ended up just going, he ended up figuring out, okay, she's not hot. I'm not going with her. And so he went North again. And so that was like that that was the first time I'd had that whole chest pounding adrenaline rush. And then I got that big giant adrenaline dump that, that happens. And so it was like, I couldn't keep my legs still. My back started hurting really bad. I had to put the bow down and I just watched him walk off to the North through my binoculars. And I was like, okay, was that the last chance I'll ever, was that the last time I'll ever see this deer? Yeah. Yeah, man, that's nuts. Okay. So he disappears again, right? He does. Okay. And then how much longer till the next time that he shows up? So about 45 minutes later, about four o'clock, I was looking towards my Northwest back into those thickets. And I saw him back there with three does and there was a bunch of other deer back there just milling around. But he was, like I said, he was on those does. Like he was trying to scent check them to see if they were in estrus or not. And so they were making a beeline right for the fence crossing that I was sitting on. And so he's following him. And this is the first time I'm getting a really good look at him, right? Because I'm getting, I'm able to see his 
his all of his width and his time length and his mass, and I'm getting a really good look at him really for the first time. And he, they're on a beeline right for the fence. And so I get the I get ready with the bow and I and the does, you know, no, I'm not spooking anything, nothing seeing me. They're completely upwind. The wind's in my favor. And those does come to the fence and it's like a complete refusal. They're like, no, nah, we're not jumping. We're going to go back. And so they peeled off and went to the southwest of me back into a, a different area of the farm. And I was like, son of a bitch. Because he came to the fence and just like, well, I'm not going to jump either. And he actually went back a different direction. So he went basically straight west and I could watch him a little while again. And so from like four o'clock, like about four o'clock, he comes to the fence and stops. And I get like a really just a crystal clear look at him and he turns and goes back to my West and I can watch him the entire time. And as I'm watching him, I notice uh, two small bucks come to the fence and they jump over and they come out right in front of me to get ready to start feeding out into the cornfield. And that, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I've got live decoys now for the first time all night. Yeah. So I watch him back there and, that 4:15, he follows a buck, a small buck to the fence. That small buck jumps the fence, and so I've already got my bow in my hand. I'm ready to go, and he jumps. So it's 4:15, he jumps the fence, and it's on like Donkey Kong. I can't believe he's going to do exactly. I can't believe it. Like go I can't ahead. believe the number of the deer just sounded like they were stacked in this thicket. They were completely. I mean, it was in, like I said, this happens a lot in the late in the later parts of the year. Yeah. Like I said, the rifle hunters push them, push them around. The weather gets cold, and it's the only consistently thick cover around for like four miles. Yeah, yeah. And so it's not, a, it's not, it's it's no joke. And I know people will probably think it's like this is un, this doesn't really happen. If you walk through there, start, say you went to the southwest corner and walked through, you would push a hundred deer out of that farm, no problem. In the in, in the late winter time. Wow. I mean, wow. it's so it becomes like this magnet for deer. Yeah. So you found a decent. And so, spot. like I said, we had a blizzard. Yeah, I found a really good. I found I, I lucked into a really good farm. And so, like I said, there was a lot of deer on that farm. There was a blizzard. The rifle season had started. There was just a ton of deer on the farm. Right. Right. So, yeah, I, I was like from about one, like a one forty-five to four fifteen-ish. I was able to watch deer the entire time. Right. And watch this giant. I mean, I don't. I, I don't yeah. know if I. I mean, I don't know if I can remember watching a big mature buck for a long period of time. Right. Um, not, mm-hmm. not like on a on a food source, or not like in a bedding area, or tending a uh, tending a doe. Because I mean, you were watching this deer off and on for what what like three and a half hours. Yeah, basically like yeah, like three ish three like three hours or so. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't like I would have lost it. I would have been shaking so bad and then like he disappears and like you said, the adrenaline dumps kicks in, then you get tired, and then he comes back out and you're all fired up again. <laughs> and like like the third time he showed up and he jumped the fence, I mean, did you have any did you have any adrenaline left to get fired up or were you because I always debate this, right? I, I debate in my head, is it like this year, my buck showed up, and from the time that I saw him to the time that I pulled my the uh, let my arrow go was probably somewhere in the thirty second uh, realm, <laughs> right? Just like that. And then I've had deer in the past that I've seen at long distances, and 
it's taken them, I don't know, 20 minutes to cruise by my way, right? So you get you get to, you know, I don't know, you get to observe and watch and, and get fully 100% ready, right? As opposed to being taken off guard. And I always kind of debate what I would rather do, right? Would I rather, would I like it to be fast so you don't necessarily get that huge, like you don't really get the chance to get nervous. You basically just react. Or would you like, would you like the time to have that, you know, I don't know, to plan and get in the right position and get anchored in and, you know, get everything right. I don't know. I, I think about that a lot. For me, it's, it's the latter. Like, yeah. because like the deer I shot last year, I had, he came across the bottom straight to me. And so I had a bunch of time to, you know, prepare, you know, prepare myself, right. To, to deal with the adrenaline and let it taper itself out. And, you know, I, one of the, one of the things that I remember that I, one of the first things I remember about the deer that I killed this year and taking that shot was I didn't have any adrenaline at all. Yeah. Like it was like a, it was almost mechanical, but I, I shoot a lot of, I shoot a lot of archery and I shoot a local archery league and I shoot, I shot a local money shoot and I shot state indoor tournament. And so I shoot a lot of archery where you're under pressure anyways. And so it's, I've got to the point now where a lot of times when I take the shot, I'm not like my heart's not in my throat and I, I'm able to make a pretty, a pretty easy shot on an animal. Yeah. And so when he yeah. jumped that fence that, that last time, or he jumped that fence, it was like, it was just mechanical. Yeah. As soon as he got to the opening that I had cut into the, cut into the trees, bows at full draw, I'm at anchor, I'm letting it fly. And it's, it's, you know, there wasn't any of this, I can't hold the pin on him or anything like that. It was just automatic mechanically going through the actions. Yeah. It was automatic. So, which I actually think is a more, is a great benefit to doing like the competitive type of archery, right? Is you put yourself into tension yeah. when you do that. Yeah. Cause even if you're, even if you're just a nobody, Standing on a line with a hundred, like forty other guys or gals, it's 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 tension, it's adrenaline, it's hard to do that, and so yeah, I think there's a, I mean, for me, there's been a benefit for sure. Yeah. So you let the arrow go, and you hit him. Did you? I mean, did you feel automatically like hey, that's a money shot, good hit, good impact, pass through, anything like that, right off the bat? Oh yeah. I mean, I knew I had the pin pin right above cause I shoot for the, I shoot for the top of the heart. That's okay. how confident I am in my ability to, to make the shot under, under pressure. I, I aim for the top of the heart. So arrow goes, it zips the room, it's complete pass through. He takes two giant leaps, right? He leaps and turns and leaps and goes over a Creek. And then I almost like, I don't black out, but it's like, you just forget everything that's going on. All I hear is footsteps of this deer running parallel to the fence line and I hear a giant crash. And so I either, at this time, I'm either thinking he's either crashed and dead or he crashed into the fence and has flopped over the top. Yeah. I get my glass out. I can see my arrow. I shoot orange fletchings, complete pass through arrow. I can see the blood on the arrow from the tree stand. And so then I just start preparing to climb down. I take my ozonics unit down, pack my bow up, get all my stuff in my bag start lowering things down. I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to wait to go. 
because I'm I was that confident that he was either dead at the fence or he didn't go very much further because I've had that happen before where they'll be on a dead run, hit the fence, and then roll over dead. Right. Right. Okay, so you get down, you go check your arrow, it's good blood, pass through, you're confident in your shot. Did you just start following blood at that point? I picked on, I got all my stuff together. I went, I, so I dumped, I lowered everything down. I went to get my arrow completely covered in blood. I look for first blood where he jumped. I find some blood. So I go back, get all my stuff together, start that process of slowly following. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't going to just push into it. I figured he was dead, but I start picking up blood and blood and blood. And then I almost tripped over the deer because I was so intently following blood. I wasn't even looking. Like he didn't right. make the fence. He didn't make it 75 yards. Right. Okay. He just piled up. He didn't even get a chance to make the fence. And it was just a carpet of blood once I got within 30 yards of the deer. Yeah. I shoot six blades. So You, you shoot six blades? No, I shoot I shoot fixed blades. I oh, shoot Ramcats. Oh, Ramcats. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I thought you said yeah. you shoot a six blade broadhead. I was like, six <laughs> blades? <laughs> That's a, that's a lot was of blades. Like the, no. the toxic broad, was it the toxic broadhead that oh, had that, all those blades on oh, it? Oh, yeah, the big, uh, I don't know, I don't even know what it, it's like <laughs> three circles. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. I shoot fixed okay. Every season I try to go in shooting fixed blades. So. Gotcha. Okay, so you shoot a flex blade, you walk up on him, uh, he's laying right there, he's dead. This And you, you said this is the biggest buck you've ever killed, right? Oh yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Okay, so you dwarf dwarf some of my other deer, and they're not they're they're not small. Right. So this buck, you just drilled the biggest buck of your life. You're standing over top of him. What's going through your head at this point? I don't even believe it happened. Yeah. It, it's just it's so you know in the moment it's like it's so unbelievable in the moment you're like, did this really just happen? Because it's you know, it's, it's not something that you go in, you know, like I said, I didn't have any pictures of the deer, so I didn't know going into the day. I wasn't like expecting, I'm going to kill this monster. Right. Right. And so you get up to this animal and you're like, I, it's unbelievable that it happened. Then you're like, I can't believe how big he is. Then you start assessing, like I start assessing the situation. How this, I mean, cause he's the biggest body deer I've ever killed. Right. Like, how am I going to get him out of here by myself? Like I said, I hunt by myself. I had to get help from, I had to, I had to call the neighbor and be like, Hey, can I borrow your four wheeler? Cause I can't drive my truck in because it's too muddy and there's no way in hell I'm getting this deer out by myself tonight. Right. I mean, I would have had to quarter, I probably would have had to quarter him out to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you, you go through like a, just a, a, lit, a litany of emotions. Okay. It's unbelievable. You did it. Then you're, you know, you're, you're super stoked about it. And you're like, well, how am I going to get this deer out of here? I sure as hell got to do that because I can't. So it's like sometimes you don't give you even give yourself time to process like what actually happened. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's hear the details. How old do you think he was? I think probably six and a half at the at the at the least amount of age. Like, but you just don't know. I mean, because he could have been a four and a half year old deer that's just a super stud. But I think based on the fact that his body was so large, he was, I guess, so I'd say five and a half as a minimum. I'll okay. take back what I said. Five and a half as a minimum, 
I would be I would not be surprised at all if that deer was six and a half or seven and a half years old. Okay, all right. I mean, so, he legitimately had the biggest body of any deer I've ever I've ever seen. Yeah, that's awesome. And did you put a tape to him at all? So I put a redneck tape to him, and I would I would say if you just you know redneck tape being everything he's got that's scorable, add it all together. Don't take any deductions for symmetry or yep. non-typical points. Yep. Don't need that shit. You know, like 182, 185, something like that. Okay. I, You know, I'm not a scorer, but I, you know, I'm really good with math because I'm an engineer, right? So pretty good idea. That's, that's probably close. I, I do want to get it scored. And I reached out to some local scorers that I never heard back from them and I, before I could get it to the taxidermist anyway. So gotcha. when I took it to the taxidermist and I, the guy I use, I, have a lot of confidence in him. He shot a one of the largest deer ever killed in the state of Kansas. So I have a lot of confidence. He said it, he thought it was like 185. So I feel pretty good that that's like a, a good number, like 180s, yeah. low 180s. Yeah, that's crazy. That is a that is an absolutely gorgeous buck, dude. And uh, can, first off, congratulations. Uh, and now, now let me let me ask you this. Right. We all we all try to gather knowledge, right, to be Mm -hmm. become put ourselves in the right position and become better hunters. Do you feel that, you know, you shot your your biggest buck ever? Do you think that and I don't want to take anything away from you? Right. I don't want to I don't want this to discredit anything that you've done. But is this luck was on your side this day or was this a dude? the strategy planning and preparation paid off both. Like, yeah, I, I don't take it as an, I don't take it as an offense at all. Like luck for sure was on my side that day because there's like, had I not hunted that day, I have almost complete confidence that that deer would have moved off the farm eventually. Yeah. Just cause I, like I said, he's like, I talked to the neighbor about it for 10, 20 minutes and I've asked him about it since then. Too. He's like, that deer lives over here yada 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 we had seen him on this hilltop and i'm like well that's nowhere close relatively to where i hunt yeah like it's two miles away so it's like yeah for sure there's a massive luck component right 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 but i've put my like i said i have definitely put myself into a situation you know getting the having access to this farm kind of fell into my lap too but like i've learned the farm and i've got myself set up where like in the last six seasons i've killed deer that would score over Pope and young every season. Yeah. So certainly I've got something figured out in relation to this particular property, but yeah, luck for sure. I mean, who's going to, I, like I said, I didn't have any pictures of this deer until the week I had pictures of him the week that I, from previously in the week, but I didn't know it at the time. Right. Right. Well, man, I I think luck plays into it a lot of the time anyways. Oh yeah. I'm going to, I'll, I'll, I put myself in the right position, but I had no clue that, you know, my buck was there this year. I didn't have a, I didn't have a clue. Uh, he j- he showed up. Um, I like I put I, I put myself in the right spot, and I just got straight up lucky. You know that he showed up when he showed up, and uh, you know I didn't I didn't know he was there. So it's not like I went in there to after him to kill him, but you know I was in the right spot, and luckily he he showed up. So yeah, I'll take I'll take luck over skill any time, right? Yeah, I'll take a little. Yeah, I mean, my like my best my best friend. He's killed three deer over 180 inches. Only one of them has he ever had on camera. Yeah. Does it mean he's lucky, or does it mean he just has good tactics on 
in good locations. Yeah. I mean, I'll t- what's what a, what's that quote? I don't I don't even remember what that luck quote about luck is, but that's, I'd rather be I lucky mean, than good any day. <laughs> something. I think yeah. Something like that's that. That's a good one. There's yeah. another one about luck. It's something about preparation meets opportunity. Oh or something. yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Well, I mean, I'll take luck any day when I get to hang a deer like that on my wall. Absolutely, absolutely. Seth, man, I really appreciate you taking time to hop on the podcast and chat about this uh, past season and uh, this the stud of a buck that you got. Uh, is he is he done yet? No, he he wouldn't be done yet. Yeah, he's not done yet. I'm I'm lazy, <laughs> and I really liked looking at him. So I had him in my freezer up until a couple weekends ago. Okay. So he's only been at the taxidermist for like two weeks now. Gotcha. And he won't be done until the summer. He won't be done maybe till August, I think. Is probably the earliest I could expect him. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I didn't want to let him. I didn't want to let him go because I could go out in the barn and look at him anytime I wanted to. That's right. That's right. Well, man, congratulations. You have a good one. And uh, hey, man, good luck the re- this upcoming season. You too. Hey, congrats on your big buck, and you know, good luck shed hunting, and as we move into 2019. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another podcast signed, sealed, and delivered. Huge shout out to Seth for hopping on and chatting with us today. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to download and listen, man. Please search, subscribe, not only to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, but to all of the podcasts within the Sportsman's Nation, right? We have the Sportsman's Nation network feed that has all of the podcasts, and now you can find all of the podcasts on an individual basis as well. So uh, subscribe to all of it or subscribe to your favorites um, or do both. That's awesome too. So go to iTunes, leave a review, either on the Sportsman's Nation or on the Nine Finger Chronicles, man. Other than that, uh, I don't have a lot to say in closing. Um, huge shout out to the partners, right? Exodus, Wasp, Lone Wolf, Deer Lab, Prime, Ripcord, Ozonics, Hunter Safety Systems. Without those companies, this podcast isn't happening. So please go out and support those companies. Last but not least, if you are going to be in a tree or you're taking down your stands now that the season is over, our friends at Hunter Safety Systems is reminding us to please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good week.